which is uh, through Paul's second missionary journey, which um, we'll see uh, begins at the end of chapter 15. Today we'll be looking at that last part of chapter 15 and chapter 16. Um, just to remind you, uh, last week we looked at the circumstances um, that led to the calling of a council in Jerusalem to consider this question of um, not whether Gentiles could be included in the church, but how. Um, did they need to undergo um, a process of becoming Jewish uh, to um, obey Jewish laws and regulations in order to be full members of the Christian community? And we saw that after a lengthy debate, uh, the church decided that they did not need to be um, circumcised but they did need to obey um, you know, certain restrictions on their behaviors that would be particularly visible and offensive to um, their fellow Jewish Christian believers. Um, uh, but the result was um, with this, um, of this council is as the word went back to Antioch where the trouble um, had originated with people coming there and saying that, oh no, you, you, you can't uh, be saved unless you're circumcised. Um, the decision sits back and as we saw at the end of last week that um, they rejoiced when they heard um, this word sent um, from Jerusalem to Antioch and found it tremendously encouraging. And as we go through the second missionary journey, this uh, letter sent by the Jerusalem church will continue to be proclaimed by Paul as he visits churches that he has uh, founded earlier. So with that as an introduction, um, I'll start our reading this morning in Acts chapter 15. We'll start in verse 36 and we'll read through um, 16. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord, and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered in them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. 
And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who, had heard, who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who is a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God and who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. When they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them in prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew a sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household 
that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrate sent the police, saying, Let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's ask him to open it in our hearts and minds uh, this morning. Let's pray. Gracious God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we rejoice that you are at work in your creation, that you are directing all things to your perfect end, even uh, unlawful imprisonment and beating you use to proclaim your gospel. Lord God, we ask that you would uh, give us insight into your word this morning. Guide us into all truth by your Spirit, the same Spirit we see at work in this chapter, directing men's steps, directing uh, the missions of Paul and Silas and Timothy, where they should go and where they should not go, the doors that you open and the doors that you close. Make us aware of the opportunities for ministry that you call us, the opportunities for faithful witness, even in the midst of scoffing and opposition. Give us the spirit of truth and of boldness to proclaim our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the salvation that comes alone through him. Guide us this morning, we pray. Encourage us, strengthen us, equip us. Instruct not just our minds, but our wills, enabling us to understand, but also to do the word of the Lord. And we ask these things in Christ's name by the power of your spirit. Amen. All right, well, I want to spend the bulk of our time looking at um, Paul and his companions' ministry in Philippi. But there are a couple of important little episodes that take place uh, before that. Um, so, yeah, maybe we can touch on some questions we might have um, about this second missionary journey. So after ministering in Antioch for some time, Paul proposes a second missionary journey to revisit those Christian communities that he and Barnabas established during their first journey. Um, but instead of being this kind of reunion, uh, it ends up being the cause of a division. Um, Paul and Barnabas, who worked together so well um, and have been uh, kind of the constant companions of one another for the past um, three chapters um, now go their separate ways. So what do we make of this sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas? What causes them to go their separate ways? And yeah, what, how are we to understand these events? 
Yeah, so John Mark, who, you know, we noticed last time, Luke just kind of in passing notes that when they, they crossed from Cyprus um, to the mainland, um, Paul and Barnabas continued on, but John Mark, when they reached Pamphylia, uh, turns to go back to Jerusalem. So, um, and he doesn't give, um, you know, much detail of that. But, um, so now, they're going again, and Barnabas wants to take John Mark with them, um, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. So John Mark, um, who, if he's the same um, Mark that uh, is in mentioned in Colossians 4.10, is actually Barnabas's cousin. Um, so, uh, so Barnabas wants to say, hey, let's take John Mark with us, and Paul's like, mm, he turned back last time. Um, so, yeah, what do we make of that? Um, So yeah, so that's one possibility that he, it was some kind of um, theological uh, scruple on John Mark's um, case. Uh, kind of similarly, some people have talked, thought it might be um, more geographical than um, Jew-Gentile. Um, Mark is from Cyprus, um, so you know he and Barnabas you know, let's go minister to, and you know, like, so he went with them to his home island, and when then they went to turn to go somewhere else, he's like, no, nah, I don't want to do that. Um, so, you know, so some people have wondered if it's more, I want to stay in my, like, you know, I want to stay and do ministry in my local area. I don't want to go far afield. Um, so, so some people have, have speculated that there, there's some kind of, yeah, that it's this part of this continuing split between Jewish and Gentile believers. Other people, it's more kind of, you know, regional loyalty. I want to do ministry in Cyprus. I don't want to do ministry in, you know, Asia Minor. Um, Yeah, um, so again, but I think it, it's, because it, it doesn't go into theology. Um, it, it almost seems, you know, he had withdrawn from with them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Um, it's more kind of, do we really take somebody who turned back last time? It, it almost seems less theological and more practical. Like, you know, um, like, uh, for a brief stint in college, I got into rock climbing and had rock climbing friends. And it's one thing to do it on the wall in the rec center at, on campus, and it's a total another thing to go actually do it on an actual mountain. And the first time my rock climbing friends took me out, like I got stuck literally like halfway up this cliff face, and like I had nowhere to go. <laughs> and, um, and I ended up turning back, which meant they lowered me down by rope, which I'm sure wasn't all that fun for them. Um, and they were pretty hesitant to take me along next time. <laughs> um, and so, like, I think it's some of the, like, do we really take someone who, 
we, you know, we set out and the work became too much for them, um, especially like thinking about, you know, when they got to um, these cities like uh, Derby and, and Lystra, where when they're in uh, on the edges of Galatia, you know, that's where Paul was beaten um, and, and left for dead. Um, you know, stoned and, and dragged outside the city. So there are places where, you know, and that's where they had people following them, trying to track them down to um, cause persecution against them. So they're going somewhere where the ministry wasn't easy. Um, it was difficult. So, it, I mean, again, he doesn't go into to the theological. It, it, Paul seems to be more concerned about the practical. Do we really take someone who couldn't go all the way last time? Um, again, it's like, do I take my children on a hike up the mountain when I know, um, you know, they're not going to make it? Like, you know, I've learned from the past that, you know, one is going to not be able to complete the journey. And like, so do I take that person along when they can't make it. Yeah, so you can see from Barnabas's standpoint, um, you know, so Paul, do we take somebody and turn back? Barnabas, he's the reconciler. We, we see it, saw it with Paul earlier. Like when the church was still afraid of Paul, Barnabas is the one who bridged the gap. So Barnabas is the guy who, let's give John Mark a second chance, <laughs> you know. Um, and so, and Luke is, I like how he's presenting this. Um, there's a sharp disagreement, but it, it, I don't think it has the kind of theological moral overtones, like uh, that, you know, Barnabas is completely in the wrong and Paul's completely in the right. They, they both have good practical points. Barnabas, no, let's, how's he going to learn how to go all the way if we don't take him along with us? Like, you know, so it fits Barnabas's personality that we've seen to be the, the encourager, to be the one who uh, reconciles, seeks about bringing about reconciliation and giving people chances when no one else is, wants to, to do that, whereas Paul is, is maybe being more practical. Yes, Linda. Yeah, he hasn't been involved. Now, um, you know, like Paul takes along Silas, which, you know, Silas hadn't been to these places, but maybe he has more confidence that Silas is going to be able to follow through. And, you know, as we see in chapter 16, Paul and Silas get beaten and thrown in jail together. So clearly <laughs> Silas is willing to go all the way in this ministry where Paul still has some hesitancy about John Mark at this point. Now we know later that there's reconciliation. So this isn't a, a we go our separate ways and I don't like y'all anymore and you don't like us. No, we see like Paul can, um, commending John Mark in some of his uh, later epistles. So there is like, you know, so Paul later on is reconciled to John Mark and sees value 
value in his ministry. But at this stage, he's a little hesitant. Um, and, and notice the kind of compromise. Even though there's sharp disagreement, they compromise. So Paul um, goes straight to those churches. They, they, he goes to visit the churches they planted um, in Asia Minor. And Barnabas goes and visits the churches they, they planted in Cyprus. They, they kind of go their separate ways, but they kind of split. Like, because Paul's idea, let's return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. So they end up kind of dividing the original intention. Let's go visit every place we founded a church, which that first missionary journey, remember they went across Cyprus, up to Turkey, and then back, uh, back down, um, back to Antioch. Um, so um, it, there's sharp disagreement, but it ends up dividing their original mission. And so you have two missionary teams going out now. Um, Barnabas and Mark going to Cyprus, and Paul and Silas going to Asia Minor. Um, so, um, but I, I like the, the realism um, here, again, of, of Luke, that it, it's not a, oh, it was all great all the time, <laughs> everybody always got along. <laughs> no, it's human, that there are disagreements. Um, and in this case, you know, it seems to be Paul thought not best. It's a kind of question of, of wisdom. Um, like, hmm, do we take this guy who turned back last time? And Barnabas is like, oh, let's give him a second chance. And, you know, they, they're divided. Um, there's a split. And, and Luke doesn't paper over the fact that there are these kinds of, of disagreements. Um, but, you know, the result of this, this particular disagreement is that you know, we end up with two missionary teams rather than one, and Luke is going to follow the, you know, Paul and Silas. Um, you'll notice in our section, um, in uh, verse 10, notice how the pronouns change. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So at this point, Luke is, is never one to kind of interject himself into his own narrative, but presumably with this pronoun switch, now Luke isn't just reporting events that, you know, he's investigated. He, he's giving eyewitness testimony as he goes with um, Paul and Silas and Timothy uh, on these future voyages to, um, to uh, as they cross from, from Turkey into modern-day Greece. Yeah, Ron. Um, I think tenaciousness. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, that's something we can pay attention to. Like, again, what, what Silas, we were introduced to Silas last time. You know, all we're told is, one, he's a leading man. Um, he, he, uh, we're also told that as Silas, um, Judas and Silas, were, who themselves were prophets, so he, somebody who has a, a good reputation for leadership, somebody who's able to preach um, and, and prophesy. Um, you know, we're, we're given a little sense 
uh, of Timothy at the beginning of chapter 16 to kind of switch to the next little section. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. So, you know, somebody who has uh, a good reputation, I mean, and has ability. I mean, so uh, just from the passages we've seen, you know, looking at Silas and then Timothy, these brief little descriptors, um, they, they have a good reputation. Uh, with Silas, he has, the, he has the experience and the ability to proclaim the word of God. Um, and for, for Timothy, that he has a good reputation and is willing to undergo circumcision. <laughs> yeah, uh, and, with, and, and notice kind of the switching here, like that first missionary journey, we noticed that it was often Barnabas who was considered to be the head because he is the older guy. You know, he's the one who is uh, seen to be senior on the mission, whereas this time now it's Paul. Um, this is more his mission trip, and he's taking along younger guys like Timothy along with him, mentoring them in ministry. Um, so, yeah, there does seem to be this pattern, at least on these first two missionary journeys, of a mix of age and stage of life. Um, so we talked about last week, uh, with this lengthy discussion at the Jerusalem Council in chapter 15 that concluded that uh, Gentile Christians do not need to be circumcised. That was all of last week. <laughs> um, and the first thing we see Paul doing when he picks up Timothy is he took him and circumcised him. <laughs> so, um, so what's going on? How does this choice of Paul to have Timothy circumcised fit with the decision that, notice, they're continuing to proclaim. They delivered to them the, for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders that were in Jerusalem. So the, the letter, just to recall, um, said, you know, um, uh, you know, that letter had, had announced to people that um, uh, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit for us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. Like, so no need to, to be circumcised. Um, and yet Paul turns around first thing and circumcises Timothy. So what's going on there? And it fits the spirit of that letter with the, the kind of like, don't do the things that are going to be openly offensive to Jews, and it's going to open more doors for Timothy to do ministry because everybody knows. Like, again, he's from Lystra and Iconia. He's from the area. Um, everybody knows his, his mother Eunice. Everybody knows his grandmother Lois. Everybody knows his Greek father. Um, and so by going through this act of being circ circumcised is going to help him do ministry among the Jewish community there more effectively. Um, and so it's a practical matter, not a spiritual matter. 
Um, and, uh, and again, Timothy's willing to undergo this. Again, not because it's a matter of salvation. I can't be saved without being circumcised. But a matter, can I be more effective in bridging this cultural gap between Jews and Gentiles if I am circumcised and coming to that decision? You know, it, it might be more bet- practical um, for the ministry to undergo circumcision if that's going to open doors for me to proclaim the good news to, to Jews. Um, so, again, the council decision doesn't represent a, all right, we're turning away from, from Jews and now we're exclusively focusing on Gentiles. No, it's how do we bring these two communities into one common body of believers. And so it is very much, I think you're absolutely right, Ronnie, it's very much um, a, a practical matter. Anything else we want to say on Timothy giving the citizenship? All right. Um, so it's in this next little um, snippet, yeah, what strikes you about the circumstances of, so here Paul and Silas and now Timothy have been doing ministry. Um, you know, they're going to places. The churches were strengthened in the faith. They increased in numbers daily. It seems like Paul wants to turn east. Spirit says no. <laughs> Paul wants to go north. Spirit says no. <laughs> well, yeah, how we understand what's going on um, with this part of um, their, their, their mission. Um. Yes. No, it is, this is it. (laughs) Um, uh, Well, this is it, putting the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of Jesus in kind of parallel like this. I think there's another instance that has Spirit of Jesus, but yeah, it's much more frequently Spirit of Christ, but yeah, Spirit of Jesus, I think this is is it. Um, And and you're right, the way it's equating with the Holy Spirit. And again, like the Spirit's um, mission is to, to communicate Christ's presence and direct people to, to Jesus Christ. Like, the Spirit isn't, like, operating under, you know, some kind of independent set <laughs> of directives. But as you say, the Spirit proceeding from the Father and the Son is executing the will of, um, and communicating the presence of, of both. Um, um, so, you know, yeah, it is... A, for just consideration of the Trinity, it is a very important passage. Um, 
and I don't know what else I want to. <laughs> no, no, but I'm glad you pointed that out because it is, um, it's, yeah, from a theological perspective, this is an important passage in understanding the Spirit. Um, I think the reason I didn't want to say more on it is because I did that when we did the Holy Spirit. <laughs> that was two years ago. <laughs> yeah, Ronnie. It would be, yeah, they would be going east to go into Asia. Or um, when he says, uh, you know, when they're thinking about going up into um, Bithynia, that that is north of where they are. Um, and heading, like, if they're going to the Greek mainland, it might make sense to go that way um, because that's, they would be heading for the Straits of Bosphorus. So they'd be going up, and they'd be going the shortest water route. Um, but the spirit doesn't allow them to go. <laughs> yeah, it's like a you know, no, that you know. Um, and as we think about this, it's not that the spirit doesn't think those areas are geographically important. Um, uh, oh, um, I'm blanking on the author's name. Um, it, there's a, a book that came out a few years ago um, on, I think the title is Christendom Lost. Um, the geographic center of Christianity around 1000 AD was actually east of where Paul and, and Timothy and Silas are right now. So the gospel does go east. <laughs> we don't get that story in Acts, but it goes there. Um, and it goes there to the extent there are more Christians a thousand years later east of where they are now than to the west <laughs> to where they, they start heading. So, I mean, again, we're not given the Spirit's reasoning here, um, but it, it could be that, all right, the ministry is proceeding here and the church is growing um, and it's doing missions in its local area to the extent you don't need to go east. That work's going to be done. Go west, <laughs> where there is no church, where there is no one testifying to my name yet. Like, um, it's like, you know, um, like when Stephen and I shovel snow, and like he wants to come shovel right next to me. I'm like, I don't need you to shovel right next to me. I need you to go over there where nobody's shoveled yet. And like, we'll, we'll start and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll eventually, you know, we can cover more ground that way. Like, um, again, we're not given the Spirit's reasoning. The Spirit leads where the Spirit will. And sp clearly the Spirit wants them, as you say, make this kind of geographical jump. Like they're sitting in the middle of, you know, uh, middle of modern-day Turkey roughly, and the Spirit doesn't want them to go east. It doesn't want them to go north. It wants them to go west <laughs> or, or, yeah, north and west, um, you know, and go to a, to a different continent. You know, they're, they're, this is the first time, even though the, in biblical language they don't have the concept of Europe, they're going into Europe. Um, so this is a big moment. And as we've seen with other big moments in the book of Acts, that there is a heavy direction by God to lead, you know, and to, call, 
authenticate this, this movement. So not only do we have the spirit you know, forbidding them to go, go farther east into Asia um, and not allowing them to go north into Bithynia, um, but we have this vision um, to, to tell them exactly where they need to go, um, which is to take it, the gospel to a much more Gentile place, um, to, to start heading toward the center toward the center of that Greco-Roman world, where they're kind of on, you know, if they go east, they're on the edges of that world. Um, but if they go west, they're heading to the center of the Mediterranean world. Um, and again, it, you're right, it's, it's a big leap. Um, and if you look at maps, like of Paul's second missionary journey, um, there's an enormous, uh, yeah, there are enormous discrepancies on what connects them from uh, Troas, you know, from, from where they are in, in, in Derby and Lystra to Troas. Like, <laughs> like, you know, what happens in between there? Uh, you'll get, you know, a, look at a dozen different maps and you'll get a dozen different lines <laughs> trying to connect the dots. Um, um, because there is, like, they're doing ministry over here and then the next time we see them, they're doing ministry way over here, you know, across a body of water on an entirely different continent. Um, and so that's a big change. And it's a big change that's directed by, um, by the triune God, you know, with this vision of this Macedonian man, come over to Macedonia and help us. And, you know, in biblical language, a cry for help is a cry for salvation, a cry for deliverance. Um, so come over and, and bring salvation for us. All right, well, let's... Uh, yeah. Armenians, uh, like all those people in the Russian steppe, Yeah, but there's, those Christians are still there. When the Muslims take over, those places are 98% Christian. And then the irony is, a thousand years later, now they're 98% Muslim. But that doesn't take place... Um, India, yeah, like, you know, all these people... Well, there was a strong Christian, again, like, it's, you know, it's the lost Christendom. Like, uh, you know, read the book, and it'll introduce you to all these populations, because that's a, you know, it's called Lost Christendom. Um, it's about all these places that in the world, and particularly in that part of the world, like the Eastern Orthodox Church world, that gets... But they had planted all these churches east, like, you know, they had had an enormous Christian population east of Constantinople um, that, and those Christian populations over a thousand years of Muslim rule were eliminated, um, you know. Um, so again, that's a rabbit trail that we can, and you know, and his book is like, yeah, we could debate his numbers and, and that kind of thing, but 
but you know, our focus, the point he's trying to make, is our focus is on what happens in Christianity in the West. And we forget about these millions of Christians that used to inhabit these now places that we think are, you know, firmly Muslim, but they used to, you know, have, you know, cathedrals and, you know, all the kind of things that church in the West established that disappeared. Um, you know, so you have a thousand years of church, uh, of, of thriving churches in these places that in the subsequent thousand years get eliminated. Um, all right, well, let's talk about uh, Philippi. So what strikes you about their ministry in Philippi? And again, notice here the Luke shifting to pronoun we. So, you know, he's involved in this ministry at this point. Yeah, Linda. Yeah, different kinds of people, um, you know, with Lydia, you know, to, to be a, uh, a merchant of purple cloth, like this is high-end, <laughs> like should, this is retail, this is high-end retail, like, um, you know, purple cloth, purple's the royal color, um, this is the most expensive dye that there is, and so it's, it's an indicator um, not just of her, her, of her business practices, but with Lydia, you know, it's a description of her, her status. Like, she is a woman of wealth. Like, she, clearly she has a house big enough to say to these guys, come stay with me. Like, you know, so you have someone who, um, yeah, who is uh, intellectually tuned in a certain direction. Like, she hears it, this message. She responds to what Paul says. And then the next person we see converted is from the complete opposite side of the spectrum. You know, the next person is enslaved. Not only enslaved, but, um, you know, someone who is, um, is possessed um, and who's being used um, by other people um, for their profit, not for her well-being. Like, you know, there's no concern whether or not this, you know, what, what Paul does is good for this young woman. Like, nobody raises that question. It's like, he cost us money. Um, you know, by casting out this spirit, like, he's costing them money. So, like, yeah, and, and then this, as you say, this, then you have the, the civil servant who thinks he's going to lose his life because, to, you know, if, to be a jailer, um, if you can't, keep those people in jail, then your life is forfeit. Like, you know, it adds a little weight to his responsibility. And so, yeah, as you say, he's at literally at the end of, of his human rope. He's at a hopeless stage until Paul extends hope to him. And notice the immediateness of, his, of the response um, of this Philippian jailer that, you know, this person who was about to end his life finds eternal life through the gospel. So yeah, through these conversions, um, very different people, very different 
um, places in life, um, um, but the same response um, to the, the good news, um, you know, through, uh, through different means of being proclaimed to them. Good. What else about um, the gospel going forth in Philippi? So we see the gospel reaching people at very different, um, very different sorts of people. Um, Yeah, that phrase that's used of Lydia, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. It was the Lord's work. So even though Paul is there, he's gone out looking, well, where can I find a group of Jews who are praying together? Um, it's still, you know, like he's doing his human thing, but it's the Lord at work in the individual heart here. Like when they cast out um, the, the slave girl's um, spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Like It's, it's not Paul's power to do this. It's, it's the power of Jesus Christ um, that Paul is calling upon to do a work um, in this, this slave girl's um, you know, life. Um, you know, you know, and they speak the word of the Lord to this jailer and he and his entire response household respond to the words spoken to them. And again, it's the Lord that's at work um, in these places. So yeah, so even though we have the we, we went here and, and, and did this, and we went here and did that, the, the fruit is, is clearly being attributed to the work of the Lord in these places where the Lord has directed them to go. Yeah, and again, it's a great picture of how the gospel is supposed to go forth in that way. Yeah, David. Yeah, so some people have wondered if there wasn't enough. So you have to have 10 Jewish men to start a synagogue. So some people have wondered if this is a sign that, yeah, there are Jews in Philippi, but not enough to form their own synagogue. Um, and so you have these Jewish women who are, you know, gathered outside the kind of, you know, they're getting outside the temple precincts of the city um, there are lots of um, pagan temples in Philippi. You know, they've gone, and then um, there's some um, Jewish literature, like if there's not a synagogue present, you know, gather by a, a river or a waterway as a place, as a gathering place for prayer. So, um, so some people have wondered if this is an indication that, you know, with no mention of, of Jewish men, is that there just simply weren't enough. Um, present to have a synagogue. But Paul is still seeking to go, all right, well, where would Jews gather in, in the absence of a synagogue? Where would they gather? And so he goes looking 
for this place of prayer, and he finds these women gathered together there, and he preaches the word to them. So um, still doing that, uh, he's bringing the gospel to the Jew first and then the Gentile, even when there are a remote number of Jews present in the place. Um, but, you know, and it, again, with that, we're moving into a much more heavily dominant Gentile world as he crosses over into Macedonia and Greece. It's, you know, and that's going to, dealing with that Gentile world is going to be a, a main um, problem that we see. Like, you know, if you think back to that first missionary journey, Paul's and Barnabas's um, main persecutors were, were Jews tracking them down and getting them in trouble. Um, in this case, their main um, persecutors are the Gentile leaders of Philippi. Um, so their opposition in this missionary journey is going to be much more coming from you know, encounter with, with non-Jewish religious um, people. I thought I saw a hand. No, I, and it's interesting, like, um, so they came and apologized to them. Well, thanks for that. <laughs> um, you know, and took them out and asked them to leave the city. Um, so they went out of the prison and visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. So, yeah, they, they do end up leaving the city, but not until they go visit all the people that they've converted in the meantime, like, um, and it's a great question, like, why does Paul not, you know, pull out the, you know, play the Roman citizen card before he's beaten? <laughs> um, which he does in other places. Yeah, absolutely. He avoids going through it. Like, and that, and that, that's the point of, you know, uh, of the law, is to prevent Roman citizens from being abused, you know, wherever they go in, in the empire. Like, it's this sort of, like, they have rights. As, as Roman citizens, that they can't be treated in these kind of arbitrary um, ways. It's, they can't be whipped in this fashion. Um, and yet, you know, again, this is where the divide, is it Paul's choice to, to kind of, you know, hold that card for leverage later? Like, after, no, 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 you can't let us go in the, you know, like, just kind of like, you publicly beat us, so you're going to have to publicly acknowledge you messed up. Um, so is it some kind of intentional choice on his part, or is it just in they never gave him a chance? Because like when he's accused, they're accused. Um, we never get any sense that they're able to defend themselves. Um, yeah, it, it's almost like more of a mob action, like it says, you know, uh, you know, they tell them, the magistrates, um, no, uh, they, 
threw us into, they beat us publicly uncondemned. So like there was never like a formal condemnation by the magistrates. Like they let the mob, and they gave the mob the, the instruments of the state, the, the people with the rods to beat them. Um, and, and yet Paul um, yeah, chooses to endure the beating and then declare his Roman citizenship afterwards. Yeah, that, and that he endures the beating. Like, it's one thing, like, you know, if I go somewhere and, like, you know, from the, from the authority's perspective, stir up trouble, um, but I can leave. <laughs> like, you know, like, uh, like, so, you know, I go somewhere, like, uh, um, this happened during the American Revolution, for example. The British Army would come into New Jersey and all the loyalists would come out of the woodwork and say, yay, you're here, and then the British Army would leave. <laughs> um, and now all those people are there like, um, yeah, yay, patriots. Like, you know, like New Jersey, uh, South Carolina, during the, you know, like these places are bloody, the revolution's a bloody civil war. Like, you know, so, but Paul, you know, chooses to go, you know, doesn't choose to follow through on his rights. Um, to not be beaten, which might direct attention to, all right, well, who can we beat? Um, you know, like, if we can't punish him, you know, we can punish, you know, these followers of him, you know. Um, so, yeah, so some people have, have kind of, again, it's, it's speculation, but speculated, is it Paul trying to protect the Christian community that he's just established in Philippi, that he undergoes this, and then, at the end, makes it known that this was a illegal beating um, of uncondemned men whose rights as Roman citizens were violated and could lead to the dismissal of all the magistrates who allowed it to happen. So, like, so now those guys have been put on notice. Like, you know, um, you know, he... You know, they could, they literally could, could be thrown out of office forever for beating a Roman citizen. Um, so, again, it's speculation, but some people wondered, is he doing it to protect Lydia and the other believers that have been established in Philippi? All right, well, we need to, to we're at time, so we need to close. But, but again, it's a, as we see the church move into, um, you know, increasingly Gentile communities, um, to see how the, the gospel is being proclaimed and the range of people that are being drawn to it. Um, you know, the, the, the different sorts of people who are, God is doing a work in them on, on this kind of individual level. Um, let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for your work in our hearts, that you have done a work in us um, giving us this gift of faith uh, that we can respond, repent of our sins, and believe 
our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, we thank you for your goodness to us. And we thank you how uh, you direct the work of the gospel. And we ask that you would be uh, working in our community, that the gospel would go forth, and that you would use us in its proclamation. Um, help us to be aware of the, all the different kinds of people around us, um, people of different um, classes and different intellectual abilities and interests, um, but the gospel is for all, and that you're doing a mighty work uh, in all kinds of people, not just the kinds of people that we would be drawn to or normally associate with. Help us to have those um, attentive uh, antenna to where you want your gospel proclaimed and the opportunities that you've placed before us that we, in our own wisdom, might overlook, um, in our own agenda, we might neglect, but that you're doing a great work in, in your church. And we ask that you would uh, continue to do that work in our midst, working in the individual and community, um, and may that work center on worshiping you, uh, giving you praise and glory, even as we'll do in the coming hour. We ask these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Spirit. Amen.